I've been writing some erotic fan fiction, and before I get into the conversation I've been having with this uh, person who intensely dislikes transgender people, I wanted to talk about it. It's really hot stuff. It's really sexy. Very explicit, too. The two main characters are Nick Adams and Dan Bongino. Now, they present themselves as being the two most powerful alpha males in the world, just bursting with alpha male energy. Now, immediately, my first thought, when I, you know, understood the level of their alphaness and their maleness, my first thought was, what would it look like if they were to combine their energy, the two most powerful generators of alpha male energy in the world, colliding sexually? In one chapter of my erotic fan fiction, I described the hotel room that they just had sex in as looking like a place that the Hulk just fought Thor. I know you're dying for more. I'll provide a link to my blog in the description. It has to stay on that blog, though. I can't post it to Twitter anymore. You see, moderation on Twitter now heavily favors the right wing, and... Dan and Nick, they're just really, really sensitive about being portrayed in that way. And of course, they, they don't like LGBTQ people. They've been very clear about that. They uh, actually reported me and had my account locked for 12 hours. Um, and then my account would be unlocked if I were to delete my erotic fanfiction. I deleted it. I decided to respect their wishes. So. So now, I regret to inform you, the only place that you can find it is on my erotic fanfiction blog. I'll leave a link in the description. You know, clearly, based on, you know, that and a lot of other things like right-wing people constantly dropping the N-word and calling gay people like me faggots constantly and telling us that uh, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, and that uh, we are abominations before the Lord who shall surely be put to death, as indicated in Leviticus 18.22. They can say all these things. Nothing will happen. I'm glad about it, actually. Old Twitter had very even-handed moderation accounting for human imperfection. There were a lot of people who shouldn't have been banned on, on both sides uh, prior to uh, Elon Musk taking over. Um, fun fact, uh, when Elon Musk's uh, social media site stopped moderating, that's when he found out that there were contractual obligations with his advertisers that if they're going to advertise on that platform, it has to be moderated. So. The complete lack of moderation was very short-lived, so he reinstated moderation uh, and aimed it at left-wing posts only. And I'm glad about this. I am glad. As much as the right-wing constantly shed their diapers about how old Twitter was constantly censoring them for, you know, dropping the N-bomb, they can no longer fall back on that excuse. Now they have to stay to the end of the debate or be seen running away like the cowards that absolutely all of them are. 
That's only the first reason that I'm so glad about this, though. The second reason is that we get to see a completely unfiltered version of the radical right-wing mind on display. No longer fearing that they'll lose their account for posting hate speech, harassing, threatening people. They have carte blanche to say anything. And there's a lot of reasons that that's good, and I'll get into them in another episode. But it makes it really easy to find a radical right-wing mind to dissect. If you're into that, and I'm into that. And with all the hate against transgender people lately, and the uh, over 650 laws uh, that have been introduced to red state legislatures so far just since January 1st. Well, it's obvious that the Republican Party is pandering to transphobes. So, I'm just wondering, who are these people that they're pandering to? Like, how do they justify themselves and why does this kind of pandering work so well? You know, last year, in 2022, the Republican Party passed, not just introduced to state legislatures, but actually passed 238 anti-LGBTQ laws in just the first 119 days of 2022. That's just the first four months of the year. And they had passed 238 anti-LGBTQ laws with many, many more still in process going through state legislatures. And after that, the people introducing and passing these laws were re-elected across the board. So the pandering is working. And given that they saw how well it works, well, I want to see why it works so well. So every now and then, I'll pick a transphobe or a racist or somebody else engaging in, in just overtly hateful discourse on Twitter and I'll ask them why. I'll ask them how they justify that hate to themselves, to the world. Try to get under the skin of it, figure out what's at the heart of all of it. And that's what I've done here. Gosh, it took me over six minutes to get to it, but here we are, finally, at the uh, conversation that this whole thing is about with, uh, with a transphobe. Now, like I said, to get to the heart of it, I figured I should go to the source and find an overtly transphobic person on Twitter and dissect their fragile little mind. It took me less than a minute to find just the right one. First, I looked for the uh, most popular transgender uh, activity on Twitter at the time, which was an announcement by a major YouTuber um, who works with Mr. Beast, uh, who has just come out as transgender. I knew an announcement like this would draw the transphobes like flies, and yeah, I found a bunch immediately, and just went through them until I had found the perfect one. Now, before engaging with this transphobe, I replied to the thread and let the YouTuber, Chris, know that uh, he had my support. She. God damn it. See, everybody makes that mistake sometimes. She. Chris has my support, and like I said in my tweet, 
I genuinely hope that that this next chapter in in Chris's life is the happiest one so far. Because that's all that matters. So, once I had uh, posted that, I scrolled down back to the transphobe and replied. His tweet said, You all are brainwashed. He's a guy and he always will be. After engaging with hundreds, far too many to count, far too many to remember, hundreds of, of radical right-wing people, I have learned over time that they are extremely fragile and very skittish, and if you come out of the gate too hot, they're going to run away. They're just going to uh, hop back into the pond like a frog on the edge of the lake. So, I came in gently, and I asked him, given that transgender people report immediate improvements to their overall health, well-being, and happiness after transitioning. Why is this such a bad thing? Now, that's about as diplomatically as I think you can start a conversation like this. Was he diplomatic? Of course not. But that's okay. I know who I'm dealing with. Now, I'm not going to take you through this whole thing beat by beat or even in order because all of this is off the top of my head. And also because I don't have all day and neither do you. So I'll just hit the uh, highlights in no particular order. Uh, somewhere around the middle of the conversation, he keyed in on gender dysphoria. And of course, he defined it as a disorder, as a mental illness. It's actually not. Gender identity disorder was defined as an illness, but the medical community removed it from the DSM very specifically to end the practice of characterizing transgender people as being people with something wrong with them. And that's the truth. There is nothing wrong with transgender people. So, gender dysphoria replaced gender identity disorder as a catch-all term to describe someone dealing with the emotional, psychological, physical effects of having to present as a, a gender that does not align with their gender identity. It's, it's just a way of categorizing. Now, even gender dysphoria is something that you know, people are talking about removing from uh, the DSM just because even that sort of brings with it the, the implication that there is some kind of medical defect. But, you know, it's there for now. And it will probably go away at some point and be replaced by something else, and then that will be replaced, which is fine, you know. Scientific and medical knowledge moves forward. Things get cycled in and out. Whatever. The point is, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you if you're transgender. Gender dysphoria just means that you're experiencing something, some effect of being born with a body that differs from your gender identity. And that's it. Not good, not bad. It just is. So, once we cleared that up, I asked him again. Given that 
transgender people overwhelmingly report significant improvements to their overall health and well-being immediately after transitioning. Why is that such a bad thing? And this time I actually provided a link to an article from Cornell along with a screenshot of the text of it, just to make it real easy for him. Now I'm just going to pull up real quick uh, the, the part that I screenshotted for him and read it to you. Okay, so the, this is the relevant part. The analysis concluded that 93% of the studies found positive effects from gender transition, in indicating, quote, a robust international consensus in the peer-reviewed literature that gender transition, including medical treatments such as hormone therapy and surgeries, improves the overall well-being of transgender individuals. This is just one example of... Uh, you know, the many articles that I've found about this, and, and they all say pretty much the same thing. Now, the way I worded it uh, in my post was an overwhelming majority of transgender people report significant improvements in their quality of life after transitioning. Now, if you've ever debated anything with a right-wing person in America, you know they have an inability to absorb any facts that don't support their position. An absolute pathological inability. Here was his response. I don't see anything in that article about a significant improvement to their well-being or an overwhelming majority. Really? So that the fact that I used the word significant and overwhelming and the document didn't, that negates the entire point. This is how disingenuous right-wing people are. So, I responded, like the patient dude that I am, maybe you don't know how percentages work. Maybe they haven't covered that at your school yet. That 93% is out of a possible 100% which means that it is a single digit percentage away from being across the board absolute. And if you don't find the um, overall well-being of transgender individuals improving to be significant, you might be a sociopath. By the way, that's, that's not name-calling, that's the truth. So, Obviously, he's very easily confused. It's a, it's a very fragile mind that I was dealing with, so... Being very careful to stay with the exact verbiage of the article, given that 93% of the individuals in the studies reporting improvements to their overall well-being after transitioning, why is that a bad thing? And he just kept responding over and over again, saying that gender identity is nothing more than a meaningless social construct. Therefore, nobody can be transgender. You are the gender that you are born with, you have the anatomical parts that you're born with, and anything other than that is irrelevant. Now, at this point, a transgender person actually entered the conversation. Somebody I've never talked to, somebody I didn't know. 
and this person politely described what their experience was when they had to present as their birth gender. How bad it felt, how wrong it felt, feeling like being born in the wrong body. Now, obviously, if you're someone who isn't familiar with what it's like to be transgender, which is everybody in the world who isn't transgender, the best source for finding out what it is like to be transgender is an actual transgender person, and here he had an opportunity to actually talk to a real transgender person who was willing to patiently and politely explain everything to him. And I felt bad when I saw this because if you're transgender, you have to deal with this bullshit all the time. So it's a, a testament to what a good person this transgender person was, that she was willing to take the time to, to relate her experience of what it was like before and after transition. So what did he do with this opportunity to talk to an actual transgender person and learn from her? Well, he insulted her. He degraded her. I'm not going to get into what he said, but um, I'll paraphrase by saying that it's no different than somebody with a weight problem or someone who doesn't like how they look. And just because you're fat and you want to be skinny, it doesn't mean that you have a weight identity of slim. Now, I, I'm actually really glad at this point that the transgender person in the conversation actually exited the conversation because, you know, they just shouldn't have to deal with this kind of shit. And, you know, I'm glad that she had, uh, you know, that she had the patience to explain it to him. And then once she saw that he was not receptive to anything that she was saying... She decided not to waste her time and stress herself out dealing with somebody like that. So I was glad when she, you know, left the conversation. It's just at that point I was considering abandoning the whole thing myself because I didn't want to start a whole thing where a transgender person is just being insulted over and over by a transphobe. And that's exactly what I would have done is, is find a way to shut that down. Luckily, yeah, it was just me and the transphobe again after that. And he was absolutely fixated on that one sticking point of gender identity not existing at all and only being a meaningless social construct, which he said was actually invented during the 20th century. <laughs> uh, that's just awesome. Really. The 20th century is when genders were invented. Okay then. In reality, there are behavioral traits, tendencies, social and familial roles that are very specifically tied to gender that go back to the beginning of recorded human history and manifest in the exact same way across the entire world, cultures that are completely disconnected with each other. 
So very clearly, whatever neurochemical or behavioral mechanisms constitute a masculine or feminine gender identity, clearly some of those things are just encoded into our DNA. Now, which of those things are genetic? Which of those things are learned behaviors? Tradition, instinct? These are things that science has yet to fully understand. But it is absolutely clear that at least some of it is encoded into us physically, into the code that makes up a human being. He just couldn't accept that. And he kept asking over and over again, what does man and woman actually mean? And it's clear there's an answer that he wants. And uh, I had a lot of fun not giving it to him and watching him get increasingly angry about it. Sometimes I can be a dick. And you know what? I have character flaws that I need to work on. I can acknowledge that. Now, this guy, he was not the sharpest tool in the shed. So I'm sure you won't be surprised to learn that any metaphor or simile that I threw at him just completely went right over his head, just completely misinterpreted by him. Uh, a lot of him putting words in my mouth and trying to say that I've said things that I didn't say. Here's an example. Just to be kind of sarcastic, I told him, you know, when I'm debugging a Python script, what I have to do is go back to the uncompiled script and look at the actual programming. See what's in the script. See where there might be a missing piece of punctuation or something like that. Again, I'm paraphrasing. So, in order to debug a human brain, I guess we would need to uh, decompile that uh, executable code down to its source code so we can examine it. That's what you have to do when you want to debug and change software that you're not responsible for writing. See, the Python scripts that I typically debug are scripts that I wrote. So, I still have all the uncompiled code. The human brain, I did not write. So, that executable code would need to be decompiled back to its source code. And then I told him, if you can find someone who has decompiled the human brain, I would love to get a look at that source code so we can see exactly how all of these mechanisms work. And he responded by saying, it seems that you're trying to imply that there are male and female brains. No, <laughs> not what I said at all. And I actually tried explaining this metaphor to him twice. And he just kept posting links about how the whole idea of uh, male and female brains had been debunked. And you know what? That was the one time during this entire conversation that he was actually correct. The idea of male and female brains has largely been debunked. It was a theory for a while based on some semi-convincing evidence that there might be brains that are neurologically male and neurologically female based on the, the results of uh, fMRI scans. But upon further review and... Uh, you know, repeating the experiment over a, a, you know, a decent enough data set to, to indicate 
that you've got a large enough sample size, it became clear that there was no real correlation and that the early correlations had just been coincidental. Not that he probably is aware of, uh, you know, the results of these studies to that extent. He was just looking for links and trying to uh, sculpt a narrative that fit his conclusion. So it is true, yeah, there are no male and female brains neurologically or physically. But our knowledge of the human mind, the wetware that it runs on, the code that comprises us as human beings, what constitutes the self, is something that we are only beginning to understand on a very basic level. And quite often we find that what we thought we understood was actually wrong. So the answer to this question that he kept asking is something that's not actually available to science. We have not yet advanced to the point where we understand all of these mechanisms and how they work. And, you know, I patiently explained all of this to him. And he just kept asking the question over and over again. You seem to have no concept of what constitutes a man and what constitutes a woman. So can you tell me? I bet you can't. Over and over, he kept sticking on that one point. And that's one of the things that just made him an exact carbon copy of every bigot that I've ever had the pleasure of backing into a corner. You see, once you strip away all of their justifications for the hate, once you debunk every talking point they have, they always hang on to the dead husk of one debunked sticking point that they think entirely proves their case. And metaphorically speaking, this is them having fallen down into the Grand Fucking Canyon and they've managed to grab a tiny little branch on the wall of the canyon and they're just hanging on to it for dear life. And if they lose their grip on it, they will fall down into that pit of having to admit that they've been entirely wrong. What I typically do is I rip that dead husk of a sticking point out of their hand pin them to the fucking wall with it and just let them hang there. And I'll come back to this and tell you exactly how I did that. Between him asking this question over and over again, I started just posting random stuff to see how he would react to it. And uh, he just seemed completely befuddled by the fact that I was veering off subject and talking about standing in line at Home Depot with my husband and missing him because he went to go get coffee while I waited in line. And it's at this point that he accused me of being homophobic because of my support of transgender people. That is yet another reason, just like hanging on to that sticking point every single bigot that you back into a corner will always try to turn the tables on you by calling you the racist, by calling you the homophobe, 
me, a gay man, a homophobe, based on my support of transgender people. All you can do in response to something like that is laugh at how fucking stupid it is. Just another carbon copy of every bigot, just a typical, boring, uninteresting idiot. And that's kind of when I realized it was probably about time to start wrapping this up. So I told him, I'm going to save you some time now. It doesn't matter what science or society says. For the vast majority of transgender people, gender transition is the best resolution for them. When it comes to the, the emotional turmoil and the suffering that they go to when having to present as a gender that doesn't align with their gender identity. To put it very simply, if you're doing something that causes you pain, sometimes the best solution to that situation is to stop doing it. If presenting to the world and living as the gender that is not your gender identity, yeah, sometimes the best solution, most of the time, the best solution is to stop doing that and instead present and live as the gender that does align with your gender identity. And that's what transitioning is. Now, I'm a cisgender male, so I'm not going to talk about what it feels like. That's not my place. But I can say that transitioning can mean different things. It can mean just visually presenting yourself as the gender that aligns with your gender identity. Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes the transition needs to go further. Hormone replacement therapy, top or bottom gender reassignment surgery. The thing is, only a transgender person can determine what they need to do to feel like they are living the life that they should be living. No matter what science says, no matter what society says, if it allows transgender people, my friends or transgender people that I don't know, if it allows them to live a happy life and finally be living as the person that they are, why is that a bad thing? Of course, you know, more repeating of the question. So I said, it doesn't impact anyone else's life in any way whatsoever. Now, I understand that you are severely distressed over the fact that they exist, but I don't count that because that's not something they're doing to you that's something you are choosing to do to yourself. And he says, actually, it is something they are doing to me because we are being forced to treat people as men when they aren't men and treat them as women when they aren't women. And it has a severely negative effect on our lives. And I said, actually, no, that's not happening at all. All you're being asked to do is treat them with respect or leave them alone. 
And if you choose not to leave them alone, when asked, you'll be forced to leave them alone. Now, if you were being harassed by someone and you wanted them to leave you alone, but you didn't have the ability to force them to leave you alone, I would help you get rid of them. Because you have that right too. And of course he responded to that by once again asking what makes a man a man and what makes a woman a woman because, uh, I don't know, maybe the uh, hamster running on the wheel inside of his head started running backwards. Now, I sensed at a certain point that we were about to veer off into the, uh, the arena of laws and requirements to legally recognize people's gender and things like that. So I decided to head that off before we even went there. And I decided to uh, make that effort as all-encompassing as possible, so I said the following. The existing laws against physically harming another person were not sufficient to deter you from targeting us for violence. So we fought for hate crime enhancements. You denied us the rights and protections that your partners enjoy, so we fought for marriage. Transgender people tried to just live and be left alone and present as their gender identity. And you refused to do that out of decency, so now you're going to have to do it out of legal necessity. And that is the logical next step in this. Here's the thing. Sometimes the only path to social acceptance is to have legal acceptance. There's a certain portion of society that for some reason is always going to target people who are different. People who believe they have a right by birth because of their race or whatever to some kind of superiority. The world is theirs, they're entitled to it. Their specialness is built in and for some reason they just can't be disabused of this notion. And because this portion of society insists on being this way, in order for social acceptance and survival to be possible, legal protections have to be put in place. To put it simply, we asked you to treat us with human decency. You refused and now we're no longer making that optional. That's really what this is. They see it as some kind of fascism where they're, they're being forced to treat people as men when they aren't men, to treat people as women when they aren't women, when in reality they just want to be left alone. They've made it clear the only way that that is going to happen is if they no longer have a choice, if they fucking have to leave us alone. So that's the route we're going. And they are constantly just shitting their diapers about that. And that is exactly why this works. All of the anti-LGBTQ and especially anti-trans laws they are meant to pander to transphobes like this person I was talking to. 
And when they see the person that they voted for, passing law after law after law, restricting their lives, stripping away basic human rights, well, it gives them the warm fuzzies. It gives them a nice dopamine hit to know that the, the people they voted for hate the same people they hate and will hurt those people on their behalf. That's what all these anti-trans, anti-gay laws are about. Well, at least in part. It's part of a larger effort to hold on to congressional seats. You give people those warm fuzzies, they'll keep voting for you. That's how red states stay reliably red. These laws, not only do they pander to their base of bigoted voters, these laws make those red states inhospitable to anybody who isn't a straight, white, Christian, far-right-wing, radical bigot. And if you can make your red state inhospitable enough to anybody who isn't one of these fucking bigots, then you'll drive people out and discourage them from moving in. And you'll keep your voter base, at least in that state, as Republican as possible. And that's really what it's all about. Holding on to those congressional seats, especially the Senate. Representatives to some extent, but obviously the buck stops with the Senate when it comes to passing federal legislation. And it works. It really does because, well, North Dakota has, what, a million and a half people? California has 38 million people. Both states have two senators each. That means that uh, the average resident of North Dakota has 19 times, approximately, of the uh, influence over federal legislation that someone from California has. One and a half, two million people, two senators. 38 million people, two senators. A tiny population in a red state has just as much influence over federal policy as the utterly massive population of California. We should probably fix that at some point. But I don't want to get off subject too much. Anyway, as these things do, it devolved into him just repeating himself over and over. You can't even tell me what a man is and what a woman is. You can't tell me what makes a man a man and what makes a woman a woman. Over and over. So finally, in the end, this is how I took that dead husk of a debunked sticking point, ripped it out of his hand, and pinned him to the fucking wall with it. Since you seem so convinced that gender identity is nothing more than a social construct, let's go with that. My field of expertise is RF engineering, not human biology, so I will defer to whatever an expert in that field says. So let's just go with that. So what then? 
He never responded. I'm sure he would have said the same thing over and over. He would have uh, insulted me for basically honoring something or supporting something that is nothing more than a social construct. And I'm sure he would have gone on ad nauseum about how stupid it is to support somebody who is uh, pinning their gender identity to something that is a social construct that's essentially something he defines as being just made up, nothing, irrelevant, meaningless. But I think he finally figured it out, and this is why he ran away with his tail between his legs like a little bitch. And it, he should have figured it out if he didn't. It doesn't matter what science says. Hypothetically, if science were to say gender identity was entirely a social construct, which will never happen because it's not, it would still be true that the only thing I care about is that they're happy. That's it. And if a transgender person transitions and finds that that doesn't work for them, that's fine too. Or if they're transgender and they decide not to uh, transition at all, that's fine. Sometimes you need to try different things before something works. That's their business, it's their life. All I care about is being supportive of them. If they're going to, to make a mistake in some way in their life, that doesn't matter, it's not my life. It's not my place to tell them something is a mistake or not. As a friend, it's my job to be there for them when they need me and support them in, in whatever path they take, whether it leads them to happiness or whether that path leads them somewhere that tells them they need to try a different path. My job as a friend is to just be there for whatever they need. And it's not my job to decide what that is either. How simple is that? Why is that so hard? You know, maybe scientifically we don't know why transitioning allows them to live better lives, healthier, happier lives. But what does that matter if it works? There are plenty of, of examples of medical treatments that we don't exactly know why they work. It's the reason that when you go to a psychiatrist, you might try a few different antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications before you find the one that works. Now, if we had all this stuff down to an exact science, they would just take a blood sample and get it right the first try every time. But it's not. Any doctor will tell you, any, any person working in the medical industry will tell you it is part art and part science and much of how we work as human beings is unknown. 
And it's just so incredibly disingenuous and shitty and such a huge, huge indicator of bias when if this guy isn't presented with absolute proof that a trans person's gender identity is what they say it is, he treats that as absolute proof that it isn't. That more than anything else reveals the bias in play. If he was debating in good faith, the most he would be able to say is that there isn't absolute proof that gender identity is what we believe it is. You know, there isn't absolute proof of what neurochemical or behavioral mechanisms there are working within us and there's, there's not concrete proof of what they are or how they affect us. That's the most he can say. If he's debating in good faith. But because he isn't, he constantly says over and over again that the, the absence of that, of that evidence 100% proves the opposite. Textbook confirmation bias. So, why do all this? What was the point of the whole conversation? Why explore these things? Why ask these questions? Why go to any effort at all to try to understand how a bigot thinks? For me, it's knowing your enemy, because we're fighting hate here. And in order to fight it, I think we need to know how it works. But that's not the only reason that, that I see this as worthwhile. It's always important to try to understand how the other side sees the issue. It's always important to try to find out what things are like from their perspective, because when you do that, there's always the possibility that you might find that you've been doing something that's been harming them without even knowing it. And if you don't ask, you'll never know. And you can't stop doing it. At least not with any kind of intention. So really, that's, that's the main two reasons for me that I continue to engage with the radical right. Number one, I want to know how to fight hate, and I want to know how it forms, how it works what feeds into it, and how we can prevent other people from getting sucked into these fucked up ideologies. And of course, it's always important to just spend a moment in somebody else's shoes and see how life might look to them. I mean, empathy, sometimes it's automatic, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it takes some effort. Some people that I know just have this innate ability to be in the presence of someone and know how they're feeling by their body language or some other sense that I can't perceive. But some people are just incredibly good at it. I don't know if I am, but across the internet, when we can't be in the same room, when we're not face-to-face, -face, in order to empathize with someone... 
I need to ask questions. But over and over I do this and I find that there, there is no justification. There's no, there's no valid basis for any of the radical right wing's positions on these things. And I always tell people that, that we could be cool. I could be cool with Republicans. I could be cool with right wing people. And I do think that we need competing perspectives, especially in government. We need at least a couple of parties to try to find a happy medium that serves the greater good for the largest possible portion of the population. It can't just be one perspective all the time. But in order for that to work, we need two functioning political parties and we don't have them right now. We have one functioning party which operates within the normal range of human imperfection and one that is just a fucking radicalized bunch of goddamn Nazis. I mean, let's not fucking mince words about it. Let's not be shy about calling them what they are because the closest analog we have from human history for the way Republicans are acting is the fucking Nazis. I've said this before. Even though this, this legislative pattern against LGBTQ people especially only exists in red states right now, in those red states, well, we're further along in that hateful legislative pattern than the Nazis were in 1936. And that's especially problematic considering that by 1938, Jews were required to wear the Star of David at all times and most of the time not allowed to leave their homes. If we fully repeat that pattern, then it's gonna be just a couple of years. Obviously, you know, there are a lot of differences. It's not a perfect comparison. But the fact that red states are further along right now than the Nazis were in 1936 in legislating the rights away from Jewish people, that's cause for concern, don't you think? Anyway, I don't know if this was worth it, but uh, I did it, and here we are. I guess that's it.